This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Eurograps Express. I'm your host Neil David and we're back once again to talk about all the happenings on the British and European wrestling scene. And I'm going to start this episode off with a question and if if you know the answer this is ruined for you but have a think. How many tickets do you think WWE Clash at the Castle has sold? The the Principality Stadium in Cardiff on 3rd September they're set up for 71,810. As of today, the 7th of August, how many do you think they've sold? They've sold 62,000 tickets. Now, I'm really confused by that because when we started talking about this show, I looked at the prices of the tickets and the prices of hotels. And my question was, who is going to give up a holiday for this? <laughs> We've all we've all been through a lot. We've all had a rough time. We've had a pandemic. We've not been able to get away. You could finally pretty much go wherever you want without restriction. Who wants to go to Cardiff to watch Class at the Castle? Well, it turns out 62,000 people want to see Drew McIntyre lap his way through a match with his dorky sword. Um, so that shows how much I know. Now, thank you to WrestleTix for the for the for the information. Um, I'm absolutely blown away that so many people want to see this. And what's been noted is is that in the last few days, there's been some pretty big movement. Now, why that is? There's, well, there's obviously a few different reasons, isn't there? Now, if we look at the announced matches. I mean, I don't know <laughs> if I'm quite willing to put it down to that because we've got. A, a SmackDown women's title match, the striking Liv Morgan against Shayna Baszler. Now, I really like Shayna Baszler because she uses Warhammer references in her tights. She seems to collect Dark Angels, which are one of my favourite Space Marine chapters. Um, I can see half the voices of the wrestling crowd there just switching off. You know, they all, if you listen to the flagship, it seems like the, um, <laughs> the, the main audience of the podcasting network that I'm on like American football and badly things, whereas I'm more into Warhammer, to be honest with you. And it seems like Shayna Baszler is too, because uh, she uses Dark Angel stuff on her, uh, on her, on her tights, which I, th- I think is absolutely excellent. Um, Dark Angels are my second favourite chapter, actually. My favourite chapter are the Black Templars. Um, if you want to know more, feel free to DM me and I'll tell you more. Uh, but that's not selling any tickets, is it? Roman Reigns against Drew McIntyre. Did Roman Reigns move the needle? Maybe. I don't know. But I think what's probably had this little burst in tickets is this renewed WWE that we've got. 
WWE are back, aren't they? They're good now. They were rubbish for... How long would you say they were rubbish for? It depends how, what, how you feel about the Attitude Era, I suppose. We're saying 25 years they've been rubbish for. I mean, I would say they've been rubbish for longer, personally. But we'll, we'll optimistically say 25 years. But they're good now. Because that old creep has retired. He's gone. And we've got Triple H, who has changed everything, hasn't it? He? He's completely changed the wrestling landscape because Michael Cole could use a wrestler's name. And that's <laughs> sold all these tickets. And I am being sort of facetious there, but on the other hand, I do feel like there is a little bit of misguided optimism about WWE at the minute. Um, yeah, it is better that Michael Cole could use wrestlers' names. And yes, it is better that we can get slightly longer matches. And SummerSlam was slightly better than normal. But I don't think, and I, I'm seeing buzz about this Clash at the Castle show, and I, I've, I feel like I've got to kind of temper my expectations because I'm very susceptible to that sort of thing. I'm one of them people that, if people around me are excited about something, I get carried away by it and I get into it myself. I think that, I mean, I think most people are as well. That's where the live wrestling bump comes from. You know, we, we talk about that all the time, that if you're there live at a show, it seems way better than if you're just watching it on your couch on your own. But... I think we've come out of SummerSlam with this renewed optimism and I think it is slightly misguided in a lot of ways because really there was one good match on that show, the opener. You know, the rest of it was just the same old rubbish and yes, Logan Paul was very impressive and all that business but it wasn't like a good match really, was it? We're grading it on the Vince curve, you know, this where we, for some for some unknown reason, and I do this myself, we give WWE the benefit of the doubt and we rate them on a different curve. I think the one optimism that you, a piece of optimism you can get from that SummerSlam show is the main event, because they seem to really lean into that sports entertainment style. Now I use sports entertainment, I think like a lot of us do who listen to this, we use sports entertainment as a shorthand for bad, don't we? We don't like that sort of thing. And that doesn't mean that sports entertainment in and of itself is bad. It's just not what I'm into. Like, I don't like period dramas. I'm not going to watch Downton Abbey. But I know that my wife loves Little Women and she watches it every time it's on. That doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's not for me. And I think if WWE lean into this sports entertainment style, that ridiculousness of Brock Lesnar lifting up the ring and, and it got, turning all that stuff up to 10, that's going to be a, a much more interesting promotion than what we've got now. But how this is going to bleed into Clash at the Castle, it's not, is it? It's, it's not suddenly going to make Clash at the Castle good for people like us. What Triple H has got to do, if he even wants to, is steer a ship very, very, very slowly. It's not like tomorrow it's suddenly going to be like the work rate NXT days. Because he answers to shareholders. NXT was his little vanity project where he could do whatever he wanted to do. And we know Triple H loves the territories and we know he loves that era of wrestling. And, and, and he, he, we know that NXT in its heyday was good and it pains me to say it because I don't like WWE. I don't like what they stand for for lots and lots of reasons that I don't need to go into. Because if I say to you that Vince McMahon is a bad person, you could think of five reasons why. And the next person could probably think of five completely different reasons why. That's how much evidence there is. 
But even I have to admit that NXT, work rate NXT, was great. Loads of great matches, especially the women's division. But he doesn't answer to his billionaire father-in-law now. He answers to shareholders. And this speaks back to, I try not to get too political on this show, but this is something, it sort of speaks to why I'm so against privatisation. Because ultimately, you have to answer to shareholders. Now, obviously, we're not talking about something as serious as healthcare or public transport or services or whatever here. We're talking about wrestling and it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not arguing to nationalise professional wrestling, don't worry. But... Triple H can't just do what he wants to do that would make better wrestling. What he has to do is something that's going to get the most revenue and please the shareholders. And for some reason, we live in this utter bizarro world of wrestling where objectively terrible wrestling makes the most money. It's such a weird thing to me. I will never understand it. That the... Biggest wrestling show in decades in this country is going to be the WWE. They put 60,000 people in an arena and it is terrible. I don't get it. I just I just don't get it. And I, I really don't think it's what I was talking about a second ago with that value judgment thing where, okay, it's sports entertainment, but sports entertainment just isn't for me. It's it's bad sports entertainment for the most part. Yes, they've had one good example of it at SummerSlam, pump the brakes, but obviously 62,000 people want to see it. Utter madness. I'm re- I, I just don't get it. Is there another art form where objectively the worst example of that art form is the most insanely successful version of it. And I mean financially there and viewers. I mean, obviously successful is, as we say, a value judgment. I think AEW are successful because what they do is great. Um, but anyway, whatever. Let's not get too excited. Uh, what else has happened? We've had uh, Progress. We're at the Ric Flair show. Uh, the Ric Flair had his last match and Progress had a number one contender uh, four-way match between Jonathan Gresham, Alan Angels, uh uh, I always pronounce this wrong. And it says Takashita to me, but it's Takeshita, isn't it? Kensuke Takeshita and uh, Nick Wayne. Uh, and they had an utterly boring five-minute 40 match that Jonathan Gresham won, which, to me, completely sums up modern progress. You've got the opportunity to do something a little bit more interesting. You've got Takeshita, who is amazing. I don't know if anybody saw his match against Cesaro, but that's getting a lot of buzz. I've, I've not seen it myself yet. But his, his stuff he's been doing in AEW has been brilliant. He's a star. He's amazing. Uh, and he's over, at, over in England on the Progress Tour. You've got Nick Wayne, who is this young firebrand who had that match against Will Ospreay that everybody loved. And there's a bit of a buzz about him. He's over here on the UK Tour uh, for, <laughs> for Progress. Uh, and then... Instead of having either of those win, they had Jonathan Gresham, a man who is allegedly obsessed with his own PWI ranking. Which I don't know about you, and his, uh, you know, Jordan Grace has, has, has went on Twitter and said it's not true. But the idea of a wrestler using their cave, <laughs> their kayfabe PWI ranking as evidence that they should be booked better <laughs> by Tony Khan is one of the funniest things I've ever heard. And it almost doesn't matter if it's true, because you can kind of believe it, can't you? Do you know that thing about David Cameron, the pig's head, 
where you don't I don't think it's true, but the fact that you think it kinda might have been says it all, doesn't it? And the fact that we're back to Jonathan Gresham probably being progress world champion, because let's be honest, he's not got out he's not got out else on, has he, after what he's been doing. Um just fills me with dread. And I don't even watch progress anymore. I had um occasionally my only connection to progress at the minute and i really really value this is i occasionally get dms from uh from ian hamilton from batbodydrop.com and he tells me what's going on and i i just i I, everything he says to me just makes me think i don't want to watch this and i i absolutely love it this is what he said to me recently and he talked about how it's three hours and 45 minutes and the there's something about a bowling ball and the referee shouting bonus ball when another bonus ball uh, a bowling ball comes into the ring and I just thought you know what I am never watching this I am never watching this but yeah we're back to having Jonathan Gresham probably as progress world champion which I don't know if that's better than Chris Ridgway I do really really like Chris Ridgway but I don't think he's a champion and it, it, it kind of pains me a little bit to say that because I do really like him and I really respect him he's sort of got an ethos of wrestling that I like you know he's, he's, he's really into a particular style of wrestling and he's dedicated himself to making it as good as he can be I just don't know if that particularly fits in progress he's a bit too straight faced for progress and progress are too silly at the minute. I just, I, I, I can't explain it. There's just something about the Lana Austin stuff on Twitter that, to me, really sums up what progress is. Just this cringy, awful humour. And Chris Ridgway just doesn't really work with that. Maybe I should be holding on to Chris Ridgway a little bit more because he's, he's a little bit um, more of what I'm into. I'll tell you something I am into. I'm getting really, really excited about this. It's the GCW TNT stuff. And that sounds absolutely crazy for me to say that because GCW are a promotion who I just... Again, sports entertainment, fine. You do it over there. It's not for me, but you enjoy it. A GCW is kind of the same sort of feeling, but on the other end of the spectrum. That it's this sort of... The deathmatchy stuff just doesn't interest me at all, really. I'm not a deathmatch guy. I'm one of those people that... Where every deathmatch kind of feels the same to me. You know, that you'll get people who are really into deathmatches and they seem to be able to differentiate between them and they can say, oh, this one's four and a half stars and this one's three stars. Whereas to me, if they're doing extreme things, I can be entertained by that to a certain extent, but then I can't really go above a certain threshold for me. It's like a Pearl Jam album. You know, Pearl Jam are really good, but they never excite you, do they? They always seem to have that sort of three-star ceiling. You kind of know what you're getting with them. And GCW have got that, but then there's also the element of like the alley catch thing and and, and just the, the really aggressive nature of them. And I don't mean aggressive in the ring. I mean like the the commentators telling you that you should suck them off if you don't like a match and that sort of thing. And I, I just find it a bit a bit much. And it's 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 a frustrating in a way because I do like lots of wrestlers I like Mance Warner at the Ric Flair the Ric Flair's last match I thought he was great I, I, it was really entertaining 
but there's just something about the tone and the feel of the promotion that just says, this isn't for you. And it's them saying it. They're saying, oh, we're us and this isn't for you. And I think if you don't feel part of that, then it just it passes you by. But they're coming over to Liverpool and they're doing a joint show with TNT. And man like Doris has challenged Matt Cardona. And the promo he's put on Twitter is amazing. And it's got me wanting to go to the show. Which, one, it means it's done exactly what the promo's supposed to do. But I was just captivated by man like Doris, who I love anyway. I think he's an absolute charisma machine. He's walking around Birmingham, the streets of Birmingham, calling... Matt Cardona, and excuse me for this vulgarity, calling him a, a, a calling him a pussy hole, and challenging him. And oh my, I just feel awful saying that out loud. I feel I came over all prudish, but that's how cool it is, you know. He's he's delivering it, and he's he's challenging Matt Cardona to this match. And then Matt Cardona replies, and he's like, "I didn't even realize you were a worker. I thought you were an internet troll." And for someone who's not really watched much of GCW, I really love this Matt Cardona run. I think the idea of him, it's kind of like the Jericho Appreciation Society done well, isn't it? This idea that people like us hate that sports entertainment that we keep talking about. And we don't like these people that go to WWE and do the smiles and the and the and the and this fake weird entertainment that they do. And he sort of leaned into that, hasn't he? And now he's calling himself the Deathmatch King, and he's is he realizes that in with this sort of audience, he's just a heel personified. And then you can have the proper wrestlers like Man Like Darius and like the GCW people who can call him out on it. And it just creates these wonderful little stories that are really obvious but really interesting at the same time. And I really, really want to go to, uh, to TNT versus GCW. And in fact, you know what? Shall I do it? Yeah, I'm gonna go. There's, you know, Joey Janela's on there, Murdoch's on there, Joe, Nick Wayne's there, Tony Depp and Blake Christian. I think we should go. These two, isn't there? There's one on the 15th of September and one on the 17th of September. I'd have to look and see what's the better show because I can probably only swing one of them. Let's fight. Let's go. And if you if you go, let me know and I'll, I'll meet you there. So, another thing happened this fortnight that kind of wound me up a little bit. And it goes back to WWE. And it was it's sort of going back to what we were talking about before. And it's this idea of wrestling being nothing until Vince McMahon came along. Triple H went on Logan Paul's podcast. Oh, was it Jake Paul? What are them idiots? And he went on the podcast and he said about how, yeah, wrestling was just something that happened in smoky bars before... Um, Vince McMahon came along and elevated it into this global thing. Now, obviously, you know and I know that that's a ridiculous statement. We know that wrestling has been in uh, was a massive thing before Vince McMahon came along. It'll be a massive thing long after he's even goner than he is now. Um, but there was another element to that statement that really wound me up, and and, and people aren't really talking about it. And it, it's strange because I've been to a lot of wrestling in smoky bars. And wrestling in smoky bars is often really, really good. It's exciting. It's intimate. Think of some of the best shows that you've been to. Were they in a massive arena? Maybe. Or were they in a little pub in the middle of Hinley and Wigan? 
Or were they in a random church hall in a Lancashire town? Or were they in a small boxing venue like the cockpit? Or were they in a music venue like the Ritz in Manchester? Where were they? They've all got their different flavours and their different feelings and they all feel good in their own way. And the idea that if wrestling happens in a smoky little dingy bar means it's bad is just ridiculous. Are all the albums you listen to chart toppers? If someone said to you the only albums they listen to are albums that that top the chart or the only films they watch are the films that top the box office charts, you'd think they were idiots. You'd think they were idiots. So what I wanted to do is dedicate this show, not to the York Hall shows even, not to an arena show, but I wanted to dedicate this show to wrestling that happens in the small venues. Wrestling that happens in small towns for local communities. And talk about some of the wrestling that happens for the people. That doesn't have to be in a massive arena to make it exciting. And I found a show that happens in a school. I found a show that happened in a school in Bristol. For Pro Wrestling Chaos. And we're going to analyse this show. And we're going to put it up against any wrestling. And we're going to see if it compares. If it stands up. Spoiler alert. I think a lot of it does. So let's get into it. Let's talk about Pro Wrestling Chaos. So Pro Wrestling Chaos had the show uh, Organised Chaos on the 24th of July and it's just gone up on their VOD service which is like 3 99 I think and you get a load of other promotions with it. Uh, but it's a show that they're really proud of and they're, they're really pushing this on Twitter and I can see why. You know, it was a, a really interesting show. Uh, lots of Welsh stuff all the way through it, like the All Wales title. And if that's confusing to you, even though it's in Bristol, uh, it's because it's owned by uh, Flash Morgan Webster, a wild boar. Uh, WWE UK's own Flash Morgan Webster. And uh, I didn't realise, actually, how close Bristol was to Wales. It's just sort of a bridge away. It's like from Manchester to Liverpool uh, to get into that sort of south south wales area which is a lovely part of the world by the way uh, my mother-in-law lives down there and we've had lots of lovely drives through that part of the world and there's always seems to be in that area of wales just like a little cove somewhere or just a little beach out that just appears out of nowhere that's just you suddenly feel like you're in the south of france and i know that sounds like hyperbole but it, it really is there's lots of spots you know they've got all the brecon beacons and things but there's lots of spots that just seems that are forgotten and no one seems to care about, but they're absolutely beautiful. But anyway, this isn't a geography podcast. We opened the match with Brendan White against Elijah for this All Wales title. Um, Brendan White's a wrestler that I've not really seen very much of. The last time I saw him, he was a contender for Red Pro and he was doing really, really good work. Uh, he was building up a really, really simple story with uh, Kenneth Halfpenny. And it was it was this lovely sort of back and forth thing of where Kenneth Halfpenny was growing into this really subtle heel where he was delusional and that he would 
sort of cheat to win, but he was so patronising to the audience that he thought he could act like the babyface and that nobody had really noticed. And Brendan White was great at being the uh, the stoic bruiser babyface on the on the other side of it, and he, he was really good. And then he just he seemed to sort of disappear, at least from wrestling that I watched. So it was refreshing to see him come out here, and he's he's a proper heel for this. You know, he's, he's this all-Wales title, but that's not attached to this company. And he's telling this really great story that he wants to defend this belt, but he only wants to defend it against worthy competitors. And he's not interested in Pro Wrestling Chaos's titles. He's interested in showing people that this one is, is the greatest title. And I re- I've been talking about stuff like this a lot on the show recently. I'm really into that story of a heel really being the best. You know, a heel not just cheating and being a chicken shit and, 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 and getting what he wants through nefarious means, but actually saying something in a way that is incredibly unlikable and backing it up. And Brendan White was so good at this. And I, it's it's really refreshing to see because if I'm honest, when I was watching Brendan White in The Contenders, it was his charisma that was lacking. And it was his promos and, and the way he, his work was always really positive and there was a lot of potential there but actually the way that he carried himself was often a little bit awkward especially when he was doing promos but he's he's found a real confidence now and I really I think that's really really positive and he's 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 got a great look you know he's just a big sort of chunky bald dude really he, he looks like the sort of person who who could beat you up in a pub and that's the sort of person that a heel should be in my opinion a British heel um the takeaway that I got from this match, and I, I'm going to keep going back to WWE because, like I say, it's this it's this comment from from Triple H that's wound me up a little bit. And I'm rather than focusing on sort of the good things that, and I'm using inverted commas there, the good things that WWE has done in their eyes, you know, like elevated it into arenas, which again, as I say, hasn't improved wrestling very much at all. Uh, it's obviously got people paydays, which is great, but I don't think it's improved wrestling. I want to think about the awful things that WWE have done for wrestling. And I think one of the things that they've done is convinced us that wrestlers don't love wrestling. You know, you get, I think, really surprised, don't you, when you hear about a WWE wrestler who's actually watched wrestling, who knows about the history of wrestling. It sort of takes you aback a little bit because they've convinced you that it's something so different. And we... we sort of convince ourselves that all wrestlers are working as much as possible all the time to do as little as possible for as much as possible at the end. And yes, there are obviously wrestlers who mack their career away. And I, I, I completely understand that. But I think we forget sometimes because of this WWE brain rot that there are a lot of wrestlers who clearly just love wrestling. And this match really epitomised that to me. It felt like two wrestlers who absolutely loved what they were doing. There was a a simple story here that was told really well, but with so much extra in it. The work here was just always turned up to 10. It was and the story was essentially that, like I say, Brendan White was this arrogant sod and Elijah's kind of the local hero. And he was over as anything, Elijah. Um, 
And it was great to see because he he isn't somebody that I was ever overly impressed with in progress. And I've seen him in a few other places. He was fine. I liked him. But seeing him in this environment was so much more exciting and better. It fit him. Um, so this company seemed to fit him a lot better. I think what this shows is that pro wrestling chaos has a bit of an ethos that really fits me. It This match showed that they were a proper promotion for proper wrestling fans. I looked at the way Elijah was working and he was doing all this cool stuff on the ropes like, um, like a lucha star. You know, he was... You had Brendan White doing Ushigaroshis into moonsaults and doing these kind of moves that showed that they're studying not just wrestling, but contemporary wrestling. That they're watching great matches and taking parts of it and adapting it and putting it into their own game and putting together these matches that were exciting and that they could be proud of. The story, as I say, was solid. It was this arrogant heel against a local hero for a belt. And the arrogant heel, you were desperate to see the rug pulled out from under him. You wanted the babyface to sneak the victory and show him that his his attitude was awful and he was wrong. That was very much classic pro wrestling. But they invested it with such contemporary, exciting wrestling, like sling blades and all sorts of cool things. Brendan had also just had this power that just came out of nowhere that was just utterly captivating. Like he could just do these these backdrops and, and launch um, Elijah up into the air and smash him down with just absolute effortless ease. If this promotion was local to me, I would be absolutely buzzing. The way they built this match, they essentially had a main event championship match in an opener in a school. They they sold this exhaustion absolutely brilliantly. You know, Elijah would push and push and push and push, but then Brendan's power was always just a step away to sort of even the odds. But then they were back to just being exhausted and it... It was kind of weird in a way to to have this main sort of main event style match go on first, but I, right from the start I was utterly captivated in it. And like I say, I do think it's an ethos thing. This is a proper promotion for proper wrestling fans, and this match absolutely epitomised that. I thought it was fantastic. White won this, and he was an arrogant heel. Straight, you know, he walked straight up to the ring announcer, put the belt in her face, and said, "Tell everybody that I won." And I really like the fact that it was kind of this meeting of those two worlds, that you had a very work-rate-based match, but then a, a very interesting character-led thing. And it's often, I find in wrestling, especially British local wrestling, that those two things don't always kind of meet in a very interesting way. That people seem to think it's kind of one or the other. That they'll lean too far into this kind of ridiculous pantomime thing like Wrestle Carnival often do. Or they'll be a little bit too straight-faced in the work thing like a Tetsujin. But actually, wrestling can be both. And I think that this match really hit that sweet spot of both things. There was a promo next from someone I'm not familiar with, Dr. Pariah Khan. And he delivered probably one of the best promos I've seen all year. Now, Cornette would be spinning in his grave to hear that because he didn't really seem to build towards anything. He didn't really sell anything, like an upcoming match or anything like that. What he did talk about 
was cheese. He delivered almost a full promo about cheese and crackers. And <laughs> and meats. I don't know what he was supposed to build to, but he was talking about chutney, and I'm all on board. It went from talking about cheese to the different types of crackers. Do you, and do you know what? You can tell someone's a proper connoisseur, by the way. Not by the cheese that they buy, but the crackers that they buy. Because the crackers, there's just as much variety of those. And, you you know, my favourite are the rosemary ones or, you know, the salt, uh, salt and black pepper ones. But he went through all of these. He's clearly a man who's as educated about crackers as I am. And I really appreciated that. It felt like a, a meeting of minds. <laughs> it went into sausages, a wild boar meat, and all sorts of exciting places. And before I knew it, I was listening to a promo about a picky tea. And we all know that a picky tea is the best tea. For those who don't know, and I, I think everybody does who's listening to this, but a picky tea is, you know, when it, the weather changes and it gets really hot and the idea of putting the oven on is just too much for you. So you just go to the supermarket and you get bits of cheese, bits of meat, bits of bread, you know, maybe some olives if you're feeling particularly fancy, that sort of thing. Uh, sausage rolls, scotch eggs, and you almost have like a picnic inside. It's a picky tea. You pick at stuff. And it's the best. It's, it is it is my favourite tea and i absolutely love it and i have never ever heard a wrestling promo about a picky tea and it wasn't done in like a stupid comedy way it wasn't done in that awful peter k way of that oh do you remember this and i don't know if i'm if i'm um this is a controversial take but i hate peter k i think he's awful it's that comedy and it, it really bugged me because Peter Kay was massive when I was in high school. So when I started going to comedy shows and independent comedy shows, his influence had just absolutely infested everything. You know, we'd moved on from alternative comedy into this very northern comedy of, um, do you remember this when you were a kid? And everyone just sort of laughs. And I remember watching a lot of those shows at the time and thinking, yeah, I do remember that. Like, oh, did your sister ever take the charts off the radio? I think, yeah, I don't get it. It's very, very Philip K. Dick, isn't it? It's very, we'll remember this for you wholesale. I, I, I just, I've never understood it. But anyway, I'm, I'm going off tangent because he didn't do that, um, <clears throat> Dr. Khan. He was absolutely brilliant. Um, his delivery, the way he reacted to the crowd was amazing. Like he'd drop a line and the crowd wouldn't react, but rather than be flustered or... You know, he's kind of, again, to use... the Because he, he was very reminiscent of stand-up comedy. And to use that kind of analogy, often when you're doing stand-up comedy and a joke doesn't land, the temptation can be to tell the joke harder. Do you know what I mean? To really tell the joke again and try and deliver it home. But because uh, Dr. Khan was such a natural, he just sort of let the, the reaction hang when they didn't react the way he wanted and just sort of sneer at the audience and say, that deserved more than a tepid response. And that speaks to my kind of comedy. I mean, I'm a big Stuart Lee fan. And that idea that some <laughs> if somebody doesn't react to what you're doing as an artist, that's not your fault. That's the audience's fault. I just I, I thought that was brilliant. I just absolutely loved this promo. I thought it was great. A promo about cheese. Brilliant. Um next up we had Tate Mayfest <laughs> against Billy Hayes. We should probably get into some wrestling, shouldn't we? Um NXT UK's own Tate Mayfairs. Um, 
I've I've seen bits of Mayfair's. Obviously, I've seen bits of him in NXT UK, which we don't talk about. Uh, but he did a couple of shots in progress, and I feel like I've seen him in a few other places as well. And I've never been entirely impressed by him. I always felt like he was somebody who played at being a, a pro wrestler. Like he's sat down with his, pa- his, his paper and his pen, and he's thought about, oh, what gimmick am I going to have? And I, it, it, that always came across to me on the screen. It never came across as natural or, or or smooth what he was doing. But actually, seeing him in this sort of environment and, and seeing that he's working these sorts of places, he's really starting to get it. And I came away from this show feeling quite positive about Tate Mayfair's. It's the fact that he came to the ring in a really arrogant way and then basically did the downward dog in the middle of the ring like a greasy DDP. He was incredibly arrogant. He kind of does like a Spike Trevay gimmick, I guess, that he's, I suppose it's suggested by the name as well, that he's a rich kid who's better than you. But it's a lot less on the nose than a Spike Trevay. It's a lot, you know, he's not wearing the cravat. He's, he feels like he's doing it in a much more natural way. And I really liked it. I like the fact he had a bit of a promo battle with Dr. Khan as well because it just showed that he was arrogant yet he wasn't quite as competent as somebody else. That it's it's perhaps his, he doesn't really deserve to be in the spot that he's in. In a kayfabe way, not in a not in a real way. And I really like that kind of the character thing. Billy Hayes, I don't know. He looks like a headbanger in a good way. Uh, and I really liked him. He's got this confidence that's a proper confidence. And again, I feel like this is what I like about Pro Wrestling Chaos, is that that they all, or for the most part, the roster and the wrestlers that I saw felt like proper wrestlers. They felt like real people with backstories and characters and that they actually existed. And for someone like Billy Hayes, I think it would have been really easy for him because he's a baby face and he's, he's young and he's kind of that... that He's a bit edgy because he's a bit goth, but he's also very much a blue eye in the way he acts. And it could be a little bit... It could be really easy for him, I suppose, to go into that kind of high-fiving the kids thing that I find really corny. But it didn't. He, he comes across as very natural and he's clearly got a charisma to him that makes him very, very watchable. And he's, I tell you what, something about Billy Hayes, he is not afraid to take a bump. Jesus. Some of the bumps he took were absolutely amazing. Like, he he, he, threw, he got thrown into the uh, the ring post at one point, and he, 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 it's almost like he went out of his way to take the bump in the most painful way he could. And I, I, it, was, it was brilliant. I, I, I respect a wrestler who can take a proper bump, and Billy Hayes can take a proper bump. Jesus Christ. I've said this before. I've got spina bifida, and if I took that bump, it would break me in two. And it, that's kind of my mooter scale. That's the, the Neil scale that if it would break my disabled body, I have to give it an extra star. Um, what was really surprising about this match is, you know, it was kind of presented as this very character-based thing, that we had Tate Mayfair's come out and be an arrogant sod, and then you had Billy Hayes come out, the local hero. But when the bell rung, it was a wrist-lock exchange. So you got this weird local wrestling promo, this very much defined heel babyface dynamic. 
but then we have proper wrestling. And it really made me think because, again, like I said about the previous match, we often separate these two things in our head. Why can't we have local wrestling with that local wrestling feel that I'd love and yet still have really good wrestling? Why have we convinced ourselves that wrestling can only be one thing or the other? And I don't... I mean, maybe you haven't. Maybe I sound ridiculous when I say that. But these were two really competent wrestlers, clearly well-versed in the fundamentals. And, okay, that might not be the most exciting thing, but what it did is it provided a proper base for a great match. I felt like I was watching two genuinely good wrestlers, so I was able to invest in the competition a lot more. And I really believe, and this is why I've, I've kind of fallen for Pro Wrestling Chaos a little bit, is because I really think that that's got to be your absolute baseline. And it sounds like such a weird thing to say, but everybody on your show should be able to wrestle, at least to a certain baseline standard. And that is clearly important to them. How often do we get a, a captivating-looking wrestler and convince ourselves that that's enough? It isn't. You've got to be able to work if you want people like me to become invested in it. And these people could work. You know, did I love the story? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was okay. It was fine. It, again, it was. It was more of a. It was almost like a, a a bizarro world of what we get in a lot of local wrestling. Is that the that the story was very functional and generic, but the wrestling was of a higher standard. And it tends to be the other way around, which I really like. I have to be nice to Tate Mayfair's, and I've not been nice to him in some written reviews, but I have to be nice to him here because he does a coast-to-coast elbow drop that is absolutely amazing. And the fact that he transitions that into a Kenny Omega knee and then somebody kicks out. Again, this is this idea, I think, of this promotion loving wrestling. It doesn't feel like it's some grumpy old men who are grizzled from the scene, who are jealous because there's all these younger wrestlers who are more excited than they ever were, who've been surpassed. It feels like the older wrestlers are excited that these young people are here. They're excited that wrestling's advancing and, and, and we're getting all these exciting spots and they want to use them in their matches and, and come up with interesting ways of doing them and it, it, it's really exciting to watch. That's palpable. That's That's contagious. The roll-ups were a bit sloppy, but who cares? Uh, the the bit that I didn't like about this was there was a bit of story at the end with some brass knuckles, and I, I never liked that stuff. Um, you know, it, it, it's something about cheating that the match didn't really need because Tate Mayfair's would have got, because of the way they presented Billy Hayes, he was somebody who was clearly a really good wrestler who was very rough and ready and... Tate Mayfair's would have got over by just beating him and Billy Hayes wouldn't have really lost anything because it's his personality that you get captivated in. You know, is that if he if he has to be the almost man for a while, that would actually work for him, I think, as a story. This idea that he's somebody who is a raw talent who just needs crafting and moulding a little bit and he's working his way up through those ranks. Yet they sort of told the story at the end that Tate Mayfair's had to cheat to beat him. And I think it's a much more interesting story in these kind of situations. If Billy Hayes almost beats himself, if that makes sense, 
that it's his inexperience and his mistakes that cost him. You know who's really good at that? HWC in Hungary. Hungary, they're really good at that kind of story. And I, I think that that's kind of the, the, the road I would have gone down and, and avoided the bollocks like the brass knucks because I don't think anybody wins. Because Tate Mayfair's didn't look better and Billy Hayes kind of ends up in the same place. So it's just a bit of a strange one, really. Next up, we had a tag team match. Uh, King of Chaos title match. And I just need to tell you the participants in this match for you to know how excited I am about it. Um, it's the Smoking Aces against Destination Everywhere. Uh, this is a match we've seen in uh, the Great British Tag League from Red Pro. And what I liked about this is that the commentary really sold Destination Everywhere as a big deal. They talked about Michael Oku in particular and his run as the British Cruiserweight Champion. Um... They talked about how this they were an established team who were very successful. And that really is something that you don't see a lot in other like between promotions, but it really helped this match. And it makes sense in a way. And it's a weird thing that promotions seem to have dropped because if you've got your champions, and the Smoking Aces won this, if you've got your champions, you want them to go against a challenger who you've sold as being a big deal. And I'm talking purely from a storyline point of view here. I'm not, you know, business and that sort of thing isn't my strength. It's about story. You know, you want your champions to go against people who are actual challengers because it makes your champions look better. And again, it feels weird that that's something that you notice. That's something that I pick up on. And it, it feels like that should be really obvious. And that's what I like about Pro Wrestling Chaos is they get the obvious and they, they just do the right thing, generally speaking. Um... Smoking Aces were pure blue eyes here, and it was weird in a way to see them comfortable. Because often, when I've seen them elsewhere, they've come out and they've been very tough and they've been very almost over rehearsed. You know, I talked about the progress effect that they've really suffered from because in progress they're very scripted. Every element of their entrance has to be has to be almost blocked out. You feel like you're seeing backstage planning rather than actual wrestling, actual wrestlers. Do you know what I mean? And it it felt like a lot of that was stripped away. And Nick Riley in particular was a bit of a revelation here because I've always thought Charlie Sterling was the star of this pair. And then Nick Riley was was the solid base. You know, he was the solid tag team partner. But Nick Riley was over as anything here. And he was much, much more relaxed. And it, it, I really saw a different side of Nick Riley that I really liked. And I'm much more interested in them as a team. I feel like, in a way, they're kind of deprogressing themselves a little bit. I wonder if they really wanted to go down that WWE UK route. And I hope they don't, because I think... They're better than that in a lot of respects. And it, th that kind of style doesn't meet their strengths. I think they're a proper wrestling team. Um, and I've seen too many proper wrestlers go to WWE UK and be lost to us. They weren't afraid to do babyface against babyface here, which I really liked. There's often that temptation to... You, know, you have to heal one side up a little bit. Even if you don't go all the way and do a full heel turn... You've got to heal them up a bit because we're obsessed with telling these stories. But actually, I think Pro Wrestling Chaos are cultivating a bit of an audience where you can watch it for the work and watch it for the actual wrestling. And I thought that was was really great to see that they embraced that a little bit. An intelligent wrestling fan 
can handle a blue eye against a blue eye and treat it like a wrestling contest. We don't have to have an outright baddie every single time. Not diminishing those stories. I'm not saying those stories shouldn't be the bread and butter of wrestling. But actually, sometimes we lose out on great matches because we're obsessed with having the same thing all the time. And Pro Wrestling Chaos weren't afraid to do that. I kind of wish they told the commentary that though. Because as they're shaking hands and the crowd are applauding and getting excited for this match, the commentary called Destination Everywhere Invaders and played up this rivalry between promotions. And that wasn't really the story that was being told. We were telling this story of, hey, let's test ourselves, let's see who is the best. So I just thought that was a weird thing to do. I think that the commentary needs to be a little bit more on side with, with what's going on in the story that's being told in the ring. Um, I, I don't know. I just thought that was a really weird sort of oversight from them because it was something that they clearly hit all these great beats all the way through this show, but it was something that the commentary, who were generally pretty good, by the way, but every now and then they draw attention to things that perhaps they shouldn't have done or they highlight a story that perhaps wasn't there, you know, and, and that was evident here. They did it earlier in the first match as well. I forgot to mention this, that the they forgot to ring the bell um, for the first match. The match just started. Uh, the referee sort of made the motion that the match had started and there was no bell sound. And I actually didn't notice that until the commentary drew attention to it. And I think there's a bit of a fine line with commentary, isn't there, where I want them to be real. I want them, when mistakes happen, to call it like a sport. You know, if there was a, a game of football and the referee didn't blow the whistle, they would draw attention to it. But it's slightly different, isn't it, with wrestling? It's weird, and, and sometimes it they drew attention to things that I probably would have just ignored. But generally, the commentary was quite good. So anyway, back to this tag team match. It was really great to see Nick Riley be the star, as I say, because he was great. And I feel like sometimes it gets overshadowed by Sterling a little bit. But they basically told the story at the start of Nick Riley being able to out-wrestle people. The Oku got a turn and got out-wrestled. And then Mills got a turn and got out-wrestled. And again, it was really nice to see Mills, who has taken a bit of a battering in recent weeks, let's be honest. And it, it wasn't entirely his own fault. You know, being put in that position with Pac was perhaps a little bit unfair. I think the reaction, and I, you have to call it like it is, and I, I'm saying that he was he was bashed about a bit, and I'm putting myself in there as well. I was one of the people that was doing it because he was probably the wrong choice for the All Atlantic match against Pack, and he got the predicted kind of who is this guy reaction on Twitter from people who weren't into Red Pro, and it's just, it's a shame really because he is a really good wrestler, and that was evident here. You know that he gets the small stuff. You know, things that 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 show that he's really thinking about wrestling. Like when he's tied up in a hold, he rubs forearms into faces. You know, he's he's actually he feels like he's wrestling. He's not being put into holds, he's wrestling. And that's something that I that's the big litmus test for me. That's something that differentiates good wrestlers from great wrestlers, and he's got that. A slingshot spot kind of took me out of this a little bit, if I'm honest. There was a bit, as it we transitioned into the second act, there was a bit where they were slingshot, uh, smoking aces, sorry, were slingshotting Destination Everywhere into each other, and it was a bit kayfabe 
in a way that this promotion don't always seem to go down in terms of their work. They will in their stories, but in terms of their work, it seems to be of a slightly higher standard than slingshot spots. I don't really get that sort of thing. And it's weird in wrestling, isn't it, that certain moves stand out to us as being really fake, you know, but we forgive others. Like, we forgive Irish whips and what have you that are ridiculous. But there's something about a slingshot that just looks too assisted. And the fact they did it as a spot here kind of stood out to me as a little bit, I don't know, a bit uneasy. Uh, but then it soon changed when Destination Everywhere took control because they were, you know, big moonsaults and the crowd loved it. And it it was weird to see Oku having just healed it up in Manchester to go over and be the pure babyface here. But I didn't really care because this was such a great little story that essentially smoking aces were the better wrestlers and they were better at wrestling in the ring. But then once it went outside the ring, Destination Everywhere were able to outsmart the Smoking Aces. They were able to to, to sort of gain control by dodging out the way and, and, and then just being able to capitalise on little mistakes that, that, re- that really worked. And the back half of this was just pure action. You know, pure action. It was brilliant. Uh, one little thing that bugged me as well, and again, I've seen these little cracks sometimes with Wrestling Chaos that I feel like I really love them, but then they'll do something that makes me think, oh, and there was this double pin thing. You know, when... A tag team both hit a move. Uh, the Smoking Aces both hit set out power bombs, and the referee did the double count where he's one, two, three in both of them. But only one man can be legal at the same time, at one time. Like, how can you have a double pin? It, it just sort of breaks the rules a little bit. I, I, am I overreacting to that? Like, does that? <laughs> but those little things do bug me. It's the, it's the Star Trek effect. Isn't it? Do you know them? I've talked about this before. Them new Star Trek movies where it feels like they've just thought of cool things and not really considered whether they make sense in terms of a story. And I feel like that double pin thing fits within that. There was an interesting story here uh, towards the end that Mills got really angry and it changed the tone of the match a little bit and in a way that you don't always see in tag matches. Partners being frustrated with each other. Connor Mills got really annoyed with Michael Oku. And I thought that was really interesting. And I've said this before, I'm a big fan of this bubbling story between Oku and Mills and where it's going. And what I like about it is that it's grounded in reality. It's not some stupid thing where one person tries to cheat but hits their partner or, you know, they just have a big fallout. Because... It's ridiculous because you could just go back and watch the tape and realise that it was a mistake. It feels like there's a real fundamental tension bubbling between this team and they're telling this story everywhere and I really like it. And there's lots of different layers to it. The fact that Oku is much more successful than Mills. The fact that Oku gets the higher profile spots over Mills. The fact that Mills often feels like he's the better wrestler. Uh, that he's more direct and more violent and he's prepared to go to a darker place than... Oh my, I'm so sorry. I just went full edge. But you know what I mean, don't you? He's prepared to go to a darker place than, than Oku is. And the way he tagged Oku in, just with hatred in his eyes and frustration, and the way he stormed out at the end, and he, he actually left Oku in the ring almost to defend his friend against the Smoking Aces. Like, it was a bit awkward. There was this handshake between them. 
And they wanted to be like, oh yeah, good contest. You know, we had a great match. It was really fun. Uh, you know, just sort of show that bit of sportsmanship. But Mills stormed off and kind of left Oku to, to deal with the fallout of it. And I thought that was a really interesting way of telling a story that perhaps has been sold consistently, but not as well as this. And it, again, shows that Chaos are thinking about things in a bit more of an interesting way. Really like this match. I thought it was a really great match. Um, second best match on the card. Then we had Harrison Bennett against Mulligan. Uh, this wasn't for me. This started backstage. Uh, Mulligan's got great strength. You know, he's a big lad. Uh, there was a bit of a brawl. Uh, they really got the idea that this was a blood feud across. Uh, and Bennett, his facials and the selling were absolutely fantastic in this. He really sold when he was there was a bit where they were up on the balcony and you could see by his face that he he was starting to to work out Mulligan a little bit he was being beaten but he he kind of started to fight back and realize what he needed to do and he was able to sell that subtle realization really well which is the sign of a great wrestler I think the sign of a wrestler that thinks um it's just not my sort of match you know they fought outside of the ring but the match hadn't started and and I Maybe this is a fault within me, but I, I find it hard when rules aren't there in a match because rules are where you get your story from. You know, rules give you the framework of a story. And without that being there, the story is very one note. You know, the idea that Mulligan and Bennett hate each other and, and they were just going to fight. Um, they even hit a fire escape and opened it, which I thought was was very dangerous and, and very irresponsible uh, because that, that, you know, fire safety is very important. This was full story. Can't fault the effort for this match, by the way. Uh, it, but just not just not for me. Then we had Harley Hudson against Ava White. Now, Ava White's not a wrestler that I'm greatly familiar with outside of Twitter. Uh, she She's kind of gone full heel. You know, she comes out, calls the crowd losers, does the L thing, and it's a bit, all right, you're the heel. And it, I feel like it's indicating to us that she's the heel, by using very kind of cookie-cutter things, and, and that's never really going to resonate on any kind of meaningful level, because you're just suggesting that you're a heel rather than being a heel. Um, Harley Hudson, I think I've seen in Birkenhead for Wrestle Island, and she's brilliant. With Wofford, I think the problem with the women's, with women's wrestling in this country is that we've kind of had the middle sucked out a little bit. You know, we've got lots and lots of wrestlers who are burgeoning talents. We've got lots of wrestlers who are really exciting and 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 feel like they're going to move on to do amazing things. But we've lost kind of the established stars, the names that people know, and the people who've really got their work and their character down. You know, like your Jamie Haters and people like that. We've lost a lot of them. And, you know, and I really hope, by the way, that Alex Windsor is okay because she's one of those that, that was I was really starting to get. Um, she she put on Twitter that she's injured. Uh, she had got a twisted knee. She had to have an MRI. And it, it turns out that it might not be as bad as as it might first seem and she might be able to come back soon. But it's still a bit up in the air. And she, I think if we lose Alex Windsor from the women's scene, that's going to be a big loss. I think the next person to jump into that spot, though, is Harley Hudson. I think she's great. 
She's got an energy that is utterly palpable. She's got a a way of moving that is completely different from everyone else. The way, I don't know what it is, it's the way her legs move. Do you know the way great wrestlers move differently? They just have something about them that you can't help but watch. Think of the Texas Tornado, the way they spun round. Think of the way Ricochet bounces off the ropes. It's just something different about the way they carry themselves. And Harley Hudson has got that in spades. Ava was the heel, and she did the typical heel thing of taking the lead and taking control. She couldn't really do it very well, I didn't think. But what really got this match over was Harley's facials and Harley's visuals. The way she sold things was excellent. It was so animated, yet so real. And she's just a wrestler who I really enjoyed watching and I wanted to get behind. And I'm convinced that I think one of the hardest jobs in wrestling is to be a pure blue eye because it's so easy to be corny and cringy. Yet Harley Hudson could do this brilliantly. Um, and, and like I say, the women's seed in this country is rough at the minute, and it's a shame. But I think there are some shining lights, and Harley Hudson is one. I think she's absolutely brilliant, and uh, she's someone who I'm going to be looking at. Um, she's one of them who you're going to follow. Do you know what I mean? Like, if she if she turns up in a promotion, that's a promotion that I think I'm going to watch because I I, I think she's great. Then we had the main event: Danny Jones against Yota Suji. What, do you know what I really liked about this? And I was a bit critical of the commentary before, but they really marked out for this and they started talking about how this was all Japan versus New Japan. And it's a little bit darky in the sense that I don't know if I would really call Danny Jones all Japan. Uh, and Yotosuji's a young boy, isn't he? He's a young lion. But there was just something about their enthusiasm and... Again, I think things like that speak to wrestling capital. They speak to people who are involved in this promotion, who clearly know about these things, who would get excited and who would notice that. Because to be honest with you, I didn't really pick up on that this was New Japan against All Japan. But like, it was almost like the commentary realised it. They went, hey, look, no, this is All Japan against New Japan. And then they went, oh, yeah, it is. And then I thought, oh, yeah, it is. It's All Japan against New Japan. And it just, it's, it felt like, this is when the commentary kind of clicked for me a little bit because it felt like I was I was enthused along with them and I was getting carried away. Always interesting to see Yota Suji because he's been a bit all over the shop. and But his better work has always been outside of RevPro. Like his best match to me that I've seen is against Gabriel Kidd in Wrestle Circus. I even think that was better than the match he had against Shota Umino at Manchester the other week. And that's the match that a lot of people are really raving about. That seems to be the match of his excursion. But actually, I would say it was the Wrestle Carnival one. But he's definitely a wrestler that can go either way. You know, he can either be really interesting and really good or really kind of generic and boring. But... uh, that's a bit of excitement to it, doesn't it? I've said before about this this weird thing with young lions when they come on excursion and you almost look at them with a different critical hat, don't you? And you almost look at them 
as like an armchair manager. You know, you're almost assessing them to see how well they're doing and how are they improving and what do they need to work on? What targets would this fat, disabled weirdo give this wrestler who's actually wrestling at a really, a really high level? Uh, but anyway, uh, it, again, that gives a bit of excitement to me. Um, as I say, he's against a made of stone Danny Jones. Uh, that's very Welsh, that, isn't it? That's a very Welsh rhyme. Um Made of stone, Danny Jones. It's weird. Do you know, I've got, you're probably going to switch off when I say this. Like, I know people switch off when I talk about philosophy. But if you ever read poetry, it's always really interesting to find out what accent the poet had. So when you read William Blake, apparently William Blake had a Cockney accent, a slight Cockney accent. So when you read William Blake in a Cockney accent, it kind of makes a little bit more sense. It just sounds a little bit better. It sounds correct. And made, in, made of stone, Danny Jones. He's like that, isn't it? I mean, there's Jones, I guess, as well. But it just, in Welsh, it just sounds, it sounds spot on. This match was really, really hard-hitting. They really committed themselves to the violence of this. Uh, they were slap contests early on, and I like the way they, they sold this, because... I, I, again, talking about the bits that Suji's starting to get, he's starting to get the little moments of story. Like Suji slapped Danny Jones, and he did. Uh, Danny did this kind of, you know, brushed it off motion with his arm and smirked and you know belittled him. And I, I like that sort of thing. This idea that it's two jocks having a slap vest and, and they're going to pretend it doesn't hurt because they're too manly and all that. Um, so when Danny Jones gave him the receipt. Yota Suji mocked him. He did the brush away, but with a little bit of a smirk on his face. He made it clear that he was mocking him. And he, he, it's that sort of thing that that he's getting. And he does really well. He's got this grin, Yota Suji. And he can play it two ways. He can play it in the happy-to-be-there way. Or he can just do something subtle with his eyes and just change it a little bit to make it an arrogant sneer. And he's he can... He's, he does that in this match to perfection. He did it really well. I think this match was good. I think what sort of took away from it a little bit was the structure of it was a little bit funny. They went straight to just battering each other at the start with the forearm exchange. And it felt a little bit contrived. You have to respect the effort, but it felt like they were trying to tell a story that the crowd didn't really go with. Uh, and they committed themselves to, to telling it. You know, this idea they were just going to punch each other and have this back and forth. And it needed that red-hot bubbling background at the start that it didn't really have, I don't think, enough to sell that. I mean, like I say, you can't not the effort. Uh, they went outside and, and Suji kind of led Jones around a little bit, but then brought him back to the ring. He didn't really do anything. So the start was a little bit awkward and a little bit clunky. The chemistry wasn't there between the two of them, which kind of put me out of it a little bit. But then once Suji got a dragon screw on Jones and it, it changed, you know, Suji went full into this arrogant prick and he was doing amazing stuff like body slamming him and then going for a pin, which is just the, just those little things I absolutely love. You know, just that, yeah, that's enough to pin you. Even though he knows it isn't, he, he, want, he, he wanted Danny Jones to, to feel how underestimated he was. That was really good. And that showed a real maturity in Suji's game. Uh, 
And he was able to carry that maturity on through this match. Suji was the slow, dominant heel for the back end. And it, it worked really well. He was really good at it. And this was obviously... It, a lot of credit has to go to Daddy Jones for being able to sell it so well. Uh, but it, it just felt like Suji added another piece to his game here to go back to that armchair manager thing that I was talking about earlier on. And it was really, really good. There was a kick out of one later on, which is really great. Uh, and it was interesting here to see Daddy Jones work because all he really does is slaps and chops. And that's all he really did for a lot of this match. Uh, was really it. And that spoke to how good a wrestler he was because he was able to tell this great story through that. Finish was very sudden, you know, that finish out of nowhere, very all Japan, as you would expect from Danny Jones. Uh, I think Suji had his feet under the rope during the finish. I don't know. It looked like he might have done. Uh, but overall, this was a really good match. And do you know what? I'm going to add Pro Wrestling Chaos to that list of promotions that are headed by Rev Pro. And it's this thing that I talk about a lot on the show. And I think if you're like me and you listen to this show, you're clearly going to be someone who who's, who this speaks to as well, where you like promotions that are worth thinking about. It's not necessarily that everything on this show has to hit. And believe me, a lot of this did. The tag match and the opener, I thought, were great matches. I thought the main event was really good. And everything else had stuff in it to keep me interested. There wasn't a bad match on this card. There was a match that with the brawling that really wasn't for me. But that was a story match. And there's going to be a payoff to that later on. So I don't mind that. But this promotion really felt like a promotion that you can sink your teeth into. That I feel like by dedicating a podcast to this show, I haven't wasted my time or anybody else's time. I felt bad when I, and I keep using this example, but when I reviewed Super Strong Style 16, I felt like I'd wasted my time. I felt like I'd wasted your time. And I felt bad about it. I felt bad for myself and I felt bad for you. But with a company like Pro Wrestling Chaos, I don't feel like that. I feel like I've really enjoyed sinking my teeth into it. And often I'll watch these shows and I'll go walk my dog afterwards and I'll walk my dog around the estate and I'm thinking about what I've just seen. So many wrestling shows, like the G1 at the minute, I watch a G1 show, I'll go make a bacon butty and I'll forget all about it. Whereas with shows like this, I'm really invested in it and thinking about it and wanting to see what's next. I actually looked how long it would take me to drive to Bristol, but the next show sold out anyway, so I can't. Um, but yeah, a really great show. And I'm glad that Triple H set me this weird challenge to go and watch a show with a small audience that's a local show that happened in a small venue. Because, believe me, this show was better than SummerSlam. This show had more for the wrestling fan than SummerSlam did. So you can have your arenas, you can have your clash at the castle, you can have your fireworks and your rubbish CG inexplicable things that float through midair. I'll take wrestling in the King's Oak Academy in Bristol. Thank you very much, Triple H. We can't talk about exciting independent promotions in Europe without mentioning GWF, the German Wrestling Federation. And I promise that as long as this podcast is going, we will always go and check on the GWF because I absolutely love them. Might be a small room 
But the atmosphere in that small room is electric, to use a cliche. It is bubbling. There's something about the GWF fans that elevates everything that's that, that's there. It makes everything seem 10 times more exciting. Um, and this is uh, really evident in the wrestling show they've just put up, uh, GWF Rising Heat 2022. Uh, this is from a few weeks ago now. It's free. You've got to go and watch it because I guarantee you'll be entertained by most things on it. I think the match on this card that really sums up what I'm talking about with the GWF thing is the Mike DeVecchio against Orlando Silva Berlin title match. Mike DeVecchio rules. I love him. And he's that kind of wrestler who technically, I guess, he isn't that good. You know, he's not exactly uh, Coada. You know, he's not exactly putting wrestling matches together that are going to challenge how you see the art form. But he's just a big, dumb jock who does cool things. You know, I don't know whether it's because of the way he comes out. There's like a weird dubstep theme and he's screaming along with it. Whether it's the great atmosphere where he's so over and the crowd are chanting War Machine. He's just a very dangerous looking man who... you who brings a captivating energy to the ring that you just have to get swept up in. You can't ignore a wrestler like Mike DeVecchio. And the reason why I wanted to focus on this match is because, in all honesty, it probably wasn't that good. Uh, It's against Orlando Silva, who's a bit pants, and it it was a bit of a a placeholder title match, I suppose. The Berlin title's kind of their secondary title. They were awkward botches at times, but there was something about the energy that the crowd and both men brought to the match that, that ended up having me captivated by it and carried away in it. You've got Mike DeVecchio doing deadlifts and backbreakers into running power slams and then flexing in the ring. It's just unheard of strength spots that are just really over the top and, and a spectacle. And with the crowd reacting in the way they do, as I say, you just get swept up along in it. And you know what we said earlier about great wrestlers move differently and get uh, and hit the ropes in a different way? Well, Mike DeVecchio definitely does that, and he hits the ropes hard. Such a captivating wrestler. I honestly, I don't think Silver was fundamentally sound enough to support Vecchio in the way that he needed. You know, like I say, Vecchio is very much a moves wrestler, uh, and I think he needs somebody in the ring with him who can kind of go along with him and provide a better base for him. But actually, Vecchio's power was so impressive that he just powered his way through it. If Silva didn't lift himself properly, I wasn't able to support him on something. He could physically deadlift him up. And in a way, those weaknesses were hidden and turned into strengths, which was really impressive. Another match that I really enjoyed on this card was the title match. It was Axel T-shirt against Jern uh, Simmons. Jern, sorry. I'm better than that. Jern uh, Simmons. Um... Simmons, I'm really up and down on. Sometimes I really love him, you know. And I, I remember when WXW were red hot and he was somebody who was a mid-carder there and it was his look. This is when he had the long hair and the beard and he was kind of doing a smiley Viking thing, I suppose. And he was somebody who, you kind of, when you saw gifts of him and images and, and little moments, you expected him to be better than he actually is. But he's had a little bit of a uh, a bit of a change in recent years and he's shaved his head and he's become much more serious and just very much a power heel and Tisha 
for my mind, he's one of the most intelligent wrestlers on the scene at the minute. He can tell a great story with anybody he's in the ring with. And I think this match is a real prime example of that. Tisha's selling here was absolutely superb. It helps that Yearn can throw an amazing clothesline. But Tisha was able to sell this idea of of being beaten and, and, and manhandled by a bigger, more powerful man. And what I liked about this match is how Tisha sold this story of having to change his game all the way through. Like at the start, he tried technical wrestling, but Yearn could just clothesline him out of there. And in the end, it ended up with him having to do these desperate forearms of having to sort of, to use a cliche, chop the tree down, of really having to beat and punch and scratch to get to the victory and try these different styles to win. And in the end, he won because... He was more intelligent than Jörn Simmons and Jörn Simmons really only has one style and there's nothing he could do about it. I think this match is a really good example of really thoughtful wrestling with a great crowd. And the match is probably four, four and a quarter stars. I thought he was really, really good. It's not something that's going to make any match of the year list, but it's free on YouTube. And if you like sinking your teeth into some wrestling, I'd definitely seek it out. In fact, I'd seek out GWF. I really like them. And even when they're doing things that don't necessarily hit, it's such a great atmosphere. It's a very genuine atmosphere. Nothing's forced. There's no corny chance. It's just a crowd who are really invested in what they're seeing and giving everything a boost. And, and I think GWF are a promotion that I'll, I'll always love. The only thing that I didn't like is at the end of this, when Tisha won, I thought, that's really put him over that. And that's really... Because, again, it's that smart thing, isn't it, where you have your champion overcome great odds because it makes him seem better. And he really had to fight Jern Simmons. Jern Simmons really battered him. And he was able to come out on top by being intelligent and he ended up with this Liger bomb from the corner. And it's a really good match. But they do this money-in-the-bank gimmick. And in a way, if I'm spending the show looking at wrestling in smaller venues and I'm highlighting the things that smaller venues and independent promotions are doing better than the WWE, it just jars with me that they take these little tropes and money in the bank is something that I'm just done with. It's so artificial. It's It it's, comes from an, a wrestling ethos that prioritises moments over substance. Yes, you get that moment where someone runs to the ring and cashes in and they have this quick title change. But after a while, it just becomes something dull. You know, I don't believe that Tony Hartig has won anything with this. You know, I don't believe that he's, he's yeah, he's got the belt, but he's not actually won anything, has he? He's fluked his way into something by winning, and he just doesn't sit right. You don't get this in any other sport, so why do we get it in this one? I don't know, just sits uneasily with me. But yeah, I know we're running out of time, but I wanted to hit onto GWF and make sure you go and check out uh, that Rising Heat show because I think it's a really good show and there's loads of free stuff there on their YouTube. Anyway, let's wrap that. I'm having a bit of a change of heart about progress, you know. I know I said I wasn't going to go to shows anymore, but this tour might be really good. They've announced Takeshita against Dean Ormark. And I don't know, 
like that is in Newcastle, so I probably can't get to that one. But that just makes me think, oh yeah, do I want to see that? You know, there's some there's like, at the um at the Sheffield show, you've got Luke Jacobs against Man Like Derice, uh, Dean Ormark against Hayata. Takeshita against Robbie X. Oh, I want to go. Oh, I want to go to that Sheffield show. It'll be rubbish though, won't it? Luke Jacobs' progress is not good. Apparently though, Luke Jacobs in Red Pro, he had a match this weekend in the cockpit. Apparently it's fantastic. Uh, they've really, you know, this Luke Jacobs' Red Pro is, is really firing at all cylinders. Luke Jacobs' progress, I don't know. Oh, let me know what you think. Should we go or not? Oh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, let's wrap things up. Uh, thank you for listening once again. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, make sure you get into the Voices of Wrestling Discord. Uh, there's a Eurograps Express room in there where we talk about all sorts of exciting things. Um, so make sure you jump in there and have a chat. You can follow me on Twitter, Eurograps EXP. Uh, always up for people sliding in the DMs and asking me about Space Marines or even wrestling. You never know. Anyway, the sun's coming up here, so I better go and eat some cheese and crackers and go to bed. Have a cracker. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye.